My name is Brithy Bansal Branch. I'm a Principal Associate in the Commercial and Projects team at Shoesmiths. Hello, my name is Joel Murphy and I'm an Associate in the Commercial and Projects team at Shoesmiths. Welcome to the latest podcast in the ShoePod sessions. The purpose of these sessions is to help our listeners understand the key components of a commercial contract. Today's topic on our journey through a contract is a phrase that anyone who has been involved in the negotiation of a contract will likely have come across before, but which is not always understood. Subject to contract. You may have seen subject to contract in the subject line of emails or letters, as well as within draft documents. And it's generally taken as an indication that the content of the email, the letter or the document, which is included within, are still in negotiation and agreement hasn't been reached on their subject matter. However, there are limits to how it can be used. So it is important to be aware of the legal principles which relate to it. That's exactly right. In order to understand the importance of subject to contract, we have to first look at the core elements to any contract under English law. These are one, an offer by a party to do something, whether to pay an amount or carry out an obligation. Two, an acceptance by the other party to the contract of that offer. Three, consideration, meaning something to be given by each party as a result of entering the contract. And four, an intention for the parties to be legally bound. Yes. So, for example, um, Joel, that would be when you take goods to a till to purchase them in a shop and the acceptance of cash would complete the contract. So, following this structure, there is a presumption that in the absence of any indication to the contrary, parties intend any communication or negotiation to be binding. Subject to contract is used to indicate that at least one of the parties to a contract does not, at that point, intend to be legally bound. Without intention to be legally bound, a contract cannot be formed. That's right. Um, And this means that it is useful in negotiations as a way to ensure that the other party can't simply accept a proposed agreement or offer without the initiating party having any further input. Exactly. A similar effect in a contract can also be achieved through other means. Where a contract includes a counterparts clause, which states that the contract will not become binding until each party has executed and exchanged their own counterpart, this will have the same effect of showing that the parties do not intend to be legally bound until each has executed and exchanged a counterpart. That's a really good point. However, a note of caution here would be that you shouldn't rely solely on a counterparts clause. So, for example, you may include a counterparts clause in the draft contract. It's always good practice to do so. But if you negotiate and agree the terms of the contract before preparing the draft contract, you could still risk forming a binding contract unless you have used subject to contract in your negotiation correspondence. So pretty is the best approach just to include subject to contract in all documents relating to the negotiation of a contract. I think it's always important to include subject contract in documents, but it isn't a foolproof method to avoid forming a binding contract, as even using subject to contract is not a guarantee that the parties to a negotiation have not been bound. It may be a strong indicator that one of the parties has intended not to be bound, but can be overridden in circumstances where there is contradictory language in the contract or correspondence. This can take precedence over the subject to contract presumption. And there is a lot of case law around this. So it isn't, as you say, a foolproof remedy, but it is good practice. So an example of this would be a contract which includes language which expressly overrides the presumption that parties do not intend to be legally bound. Emails or other correspondence which use language such as, now that we have reached agreement, 
are also likely to indicate an intention to be legally bound, even where there is a subject to contract statement. It is possible that the actions of the parties can also cause a loss of protection from a subject contract statement. So if a subject contract statement is not clearly set out, such as if it's buried in an email footer, which is often the case, or if it is only used once in a lengthy email chain, often the case, it may not come to the attention of the other party and they may not be aware of the intention for the negotiations to be legally binding. So really important to remind ourselves about that. And there are other ways as well that um, an actions of a party can can cause problems. Um, another example will be where parties have begun to perform a contract. In these circumstances, case law suggests that the courts are less likely to allow either party to rely on an earlier subject to contract position. If you have agreed to sell goods to a customer and have just delivered the goods to them, it would be hard to argue that you didn't intend to form a contract with them. That's right. So, but what should happen in practice, Joel, whilst a contract is being negotiated, it is certainly important to mark all documents and correspondence in relation to any contract negotiation as subject contract until the contract is in a form which the parties have both agreed represents what has been decided. That's quite right. It is also important to think about which elements of a document are subject to contract. Often during negotiations, it will be necessary for the entire document to remain subject to contract, but this isn't always appropriate. That's right. And we deal with heads of terms for our clients all the time, don't we? And for example, heads of terms may include the wording subject to contract to indicate that they are not binding on the parties with respect to the commercial terms of a more detailed and binding contract, which is to be agreed later on down the road. However, the heads of terms may also include a confidentiality clause or an exclusivity clause, which the parties do wish to be binding. And where this is the case, the heads of terms will need to specifically identify which clauses remain subject to contract and which are to be legally binding. And if you're not sure, it's always good to get some good legal advice in relation to heads of terms because these often can be tricky to deal with. That's exactly it. And um, when thinking about correspondence as well, especially email correspondence, that's another area to exercise particular care. Negotiations undertaken through email exchange are as capable of acceptance as any other form of communication. So all correspondence which relates to the negotiation of a contract should be expressly stated to be subject to contract. There is an additional risk with emails in that most people use email signatures which contain their name and often their position and organisation name. An email signature can constitute a legally binding signature in certain circumstances, and therefore it is possible for an email to be interpreted as being the legally binding acceptance of an offer forming a contract. That's right, Joel. And also to bear in mind that we're using so many different forms of correspondence now as well. Teams, Zoom, so many other forms of electronic correspondence. Um, and although that is a, a different route that we're not going to be covering in today's discussion, um, it's, it's worth being aware that if you are discussing contract negotiations in any form, it should always be subject to contract. So to recap, when negotiating any form of contract or even discussing arrangements with another party, which may lead to a contract being formed, the words subject to contract provide an essential protection from being considered to have an intention to form a legally binding contract and therefore forming a contract before you are ready to do so. 
However, as we've just heard, using the words subject to contract is only part of the story. If your actions as a party negotiating a contract suggest that you have intended to form a legally binding contract, it will not be enough to rely on the inclusion of subject to contract in your correspondence. Well, we've come to the end of today's session. We hope that you found it informative. Of course, if you need any assistance in any aspect of law that we have touched on today, please don't hesitate to get in touch with Joel or myself, and we'd be very happy to help. So from Pretty and myself, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.